Hey everyone, welcome in to a, another daily editorial here on the KE Report. Corey and Chad chatting with John Rabino. You can follow along with John's market and economic content on his Substack page, which we will post below. John, one market, one sector we're going to start with here are interest rates. We have seen a general sell-off in the bond market, which means interest rates have moved higher. The the 10-year was under 4% as it entered this month and already just in a couple trading days, it's above 4.1%. Now, I think this ties a lot into Fed expectations and the Fed pushing back on a March rate hike, really driving home this higher for longer aspect. Fact of the matter is rates are higher than we have seen them in a long time, a decade, really. And they seem to be holding up in this level. Now, we're not at the 5% level that the 10-year was close to, but we are still, as I said, above 4%. What matters here, John? What should investors mostly be concerned about? Well, hi, Corey. Hi, Chad. Interest rates matter greatly <laughs> to, to everything in a financialized economy. Like you said, after the Fed spoke and kind of took back some of the dovishness and uh, and which had everybody thinking we were going to have seven rate cuts this year and they were going to start right away. And the Fed kind of took all that back. And so interest rates started to go back up. Originally, the 10-year Treasury yield peaked at 5%, which did seem like a logical terminal rate at the time. And it fell all the way to 3.8%, which is a huge drop, which um, made a lot of loans look more attractive and uh, gave people the idea that maybe this was going to be a soft landing. But then after the Fed said what the Fed just said just lately, the 10-year Treasury yield is back up to, last I saw this morning, it was 4.16%. So from 3.8% to 4.16% in a very short time. And that puts mortgages back above 7% in the U.S. And, you know, forget about car loans. We're, we're actually thinking about buying one of our kids a car. I was uh, looking around that and found out that uh, the best way to get a good deal on a car is to pretend you're going to borrow money because then they'll give you the lowest price because they make money on the financing and stuff like that. So I asked about their loan rates at a car dealership and the, the saleswoman said that 7% is the best you do with perfect credit and it goes all the way up to 25% for subprime borrowers. So, so let interest rates go up from where they were when, when I heard that. That was before the latest spike in rates. Uh, and, and that means it's very hard to borrow money to buy anything right now. You know, if you borrow on a 30-year mortgage to buy a house right now, the actual amount that you pay over the course of the 30-year mortgage is approximately twice the price of the house. And if you borrow money to buy a car and you're paying, you know, let's say 12 or 15%, which I guess is common now, your payments are ridiculously high compared to what they would have been a couple of years ago. So you can't get as much car or any car at all in a lot of cases. So it, it really affects the functioning of the economy, especially an economy like ours, where everybody borrows money just in the normal course of life. So yeah, the, the Fed acted to um, slow the economy down. And by the way, stock prices spiked when everybody thought the Fed was getting ready to ease which is another sign that maybe the Fed is easing too soon. Because normally when the Fed starts to cut rates, stock prices are tanking because the Fed is cutting rates because they're panicking about what's happening in the economy. And that's what the stock market cares about. Um, this time around, um, the stock market threw a party. They thought happy days are here again. And the Fed probably saw that. And that probably was a factor in them 
taking back some of the dovishness. Well, John, just last night on 60 Minutes, Powell was interviewed, and that's been widely touted today on Monday in the financial media. And he kind of threw cold water on the idea of cutting it all in March and said they'll do it at some point this year, but later in the year. That's kind of roiled markets a little bit today. But you just brought up a great point there in that last comment where typically when the Fed starts cutting, it's a reactionary situation to the market. Uh, you know, something like the taper tantrum of 2013 or the mini tantrum in 2018. Those are the things that generally get the Fed to move. In this case, we've got a really big gulf between where the Fed's fund rate is around 5.25% to 5.5% to where inflation is coming in. And a, and a pretty big gulf just where the interest rates are in the bond market, you know, the yields. So is it possible that the Fed this time actually does something different than they've ever done and is proactive, that they're not behind the curve and that they actually start cutting just to narrow the gulf between where their Fed's fund rate is and where interest rates and inflation are? It, it's possible. But, uh, you know, if you want me to um, say I think the Fed finally got it right one time, I'm not ready to do that yet. <laughs> because <laughs> they're so consistently wrong and so consistently behind the curve that, uh, that the idea of them um, proactively doing exactly the right thing to generate a soft landing, um, that would be one for the history books. You know, I don't, I don't know if they've ever done that in uh, our lifetime. So more than likely, they're trying to spook the financial markets in a way that guarantees that inflation is going to be at or below their target going forward. And, you know, they kind of succeeded today. Stocks opened down and the bond market opened down hard. So, you know, it could be that they're getting what they want, but I don't know. It still doesn't, um, it still doesn't make sense that we're headed for a soft landing where we start growing organically where people are able to borrow money again and they can max out their credit cards safely and they can buy houses. None of that is a, a mathematical possibility in this system because uh, you know people already owe too much on their credit cards. They're already carrying balances that charge 25%. House prices at today's mortgage rates are unaffordable for like 90% of the population. The average house is unaffordable for 90% of the population. So there, there's no way to start from here and then grow organically going forward with today's interest rates and today's debt levels. So I don't, I don't really see any way that they can generate that soft landing. And then there are crises out there waiting to happen. You know, commercial real estate, we've talked about that. So your viewers definitely know about the commercial real estate story. And then, you know, there could be another banking crisis coming because higher interest rates um, are the same thing as saying the lower bond prices because they're reciprocals of each other. So there are, as interest rates go up now, there are growing unrealized losses on the balance sheets of all these local and regional banks in the U.S. You know, they've got real estate paper and they've got government bonds, both of which are getting smacked right now. And there's, there's a bank in New York, um, New York Community Bank Corp, that everybody's worried about because its stock is starting to to fall hard, and people are worried that that's going to start another stampede out of banks of that size and configuration, and the government's going to have to step in and bail them out again, you know, and that, so that, that's another thing that's out there that's just kind of getting started, and um, if, if it does gather some momentum, 
See, that, that would give the Fed its excuse to start cutting. They kind of need a crisis. <laughs> There's plenty of them waiting to happen out there. So could be geopolitically very easily. Like you don't want to be raising interest rates into a, a broadening multi-country war, right? So that would give them their excuse, and the bank thing could give them their excuse, or an equities bear market. So there's lots of things that could happen that would lead the Fed to start cutting. I don't think we're there yet. You know, we don't have anything happening right now that is enough of a panic for the financial markets that it makes sense for the Fed to cut. So it makes sense that they're not cutting. Not right now, but hey, they, they are trying to outline a path here where if inflation does continue to tick down, then to Shad's point, maybe they will be proactive here. We will see. But John, how do you look at around the world too? Because it does seem like a lot of countries out there, China especially, is really struggling. But Europe's dealing with higher inflation. It does almost seem like the U.S. is doing generally better than a lot of the established economies out there. And the Fed, we know how much other central banks follow the Fed. How much is the international component? How much are you paying attention to what's going on at other countries that, again, seem to be struggling a bit more than the U.S.? Well, I think we should definitely be paying attention to these other countries. I mean, the Eurozone or the European Union is bigger than the U.S. in terms of GDP. China is the, um, the second biggest country out there. And when something serious happens over there, it definitely affects us. We're, we're not immune to the rest of the world. And China, as your viewers know by now, engineered the biggest real estate bubble in history, had a big stock bubble to go along with it. And now those things are imploding. And the, um, the government, you know, the authoritarian government doesn't really know how to manage market fluctuations like that. So they're, um, you know, they're trying to reliquify the system. But there's no guarantee that it works because that real estate bubble was absolutely gargantuan. <laughs> and, you know, it's hard to imagine that um, that a country can ease their way out of something like that without having a big effect on its currency. So we'll see about that. And then Europe is in kind of a technical recession right now, in part because their energy costs after we blew up the uh, Nord Stream 2 pipeline and they, they don't get their Russian gas anymore, um, at least in the case of Germany. Um, energy costs are so high that that makes the uh, industrial side of their economy not as functional as it used to be. Uh, and so they're looking at, um, uh, you know, I don't want to say a depression, but uh, a lot of turmoil financially because, you know, it's not clear how they get out of the problems that they've created for themselves. And, and Europe is a, you know, it's a big system. And if they drop into a, a prolonged recession, that would affect us too. They won't buy any more of our stuff. So, you know, if the rest of the world has problems, it creates a problem for the U.S. But you're right. The U.S. is insulated from a lot of things that are happening around the world. I mean, we still have this gigantic financial crisis that's coming because we're borrowing so much money. And we have $10 trillion of treasury issuance scheduled for the year ahead. But we're almost energy self-sufficient. We don't really have the kind of um, geopolitical issues that countries with porous borders, you know, that are easy to invade have. So I think in the longer run, the U.S. and our demographics are, are better than a lot of other countries' demographics. So I think in the longer run, the U.S. is basically okay. And so, so are Canada and Mexico. You know, North America is basically the best geopolitical and demographic situation that uh, that probably exists in the world. 
So on balance, over time, we ought to do relatively well compared to the rest of the world. I just think the rest of the world is going to do horribly. <laughs> and, uh, and we do have a lot of debt issues that we have to deal with. That uh, the $10 trillion of treasury issuance coming up this year is a very big deal. It hasn't gotten a lot of press yet, but it deserves to. You know, a lot of uh, our debt is being rolled over. And then we've got a trillion five deficit that has to be financed. So you put it all together, you get to like $10 trillion which means the interest cost on the government's debt at today's interest rates is going to go up by another half a trillion dollars. And so, so we're going to have a trillion and a half dollars of just interest expense baked into the cake uh, going forward. And uh, that's got to be a problem. You know, that, that basically means we're in the fiscal dominance phase of this, where you know, we, we've got fiscal stimulus coming no matter what. That's fine as long as it doesn't impact the currency. You know, if the, the dollar starts to fall, not against other currencies, but against real stuff. In other words, if inflation starts to pick back up again, then there are no tools left with which to deal with it. And I think that's the end game. And how we get there is still arguable at this point. You know, there can be a crisis in the banking system and the government has to bail the banks out and then that gets us to a $3 trillion deficit that year and that affects the dollar. You know, that's the kind of thing that could happen or the war in the Middle East spreads further and we end up bombing. What are we bombing now? Four countries or five countries? It's hard to keep track. Um, no reason why that can't go to six or seven. And there's no reason to think that the response to that won't be a, a big issue for us. So that could be the kind of thing where our military budget balloons and the Fed thinks it has to ease in order to help us fight all our wars. And that affects the currency. So there's a million things like that. And uh, this year, adding to the fact that it's an election year, you get a very complex situation where there's lots of reasons for lower interest rates right this minute. There's lots of reasons for higher interest rates right this minute. And the interest rates that we have right now are causing all kinds of problems. So, you know, there's no way to say this is going to happen, then this is going to happen. But there are all kinds of things that could happen with all kinds of secondary effects. So I think it's just a messy year that we're looking at. And you know, the, the geopolitical thing, I think, is obviously the scariest, but the financial thing is is a very big deal, too. Yeah, John, no shortage of uh, things that could potentially rear their heads in the year to come, and it could be a messy year, 2024. But just circling this back to the market drivers, you know, you brought up inflation there and, and whether that has the potential of ticking back higher. It has been heading lower, but really the Fed has a dual mandate. They're looking at inflation and they're looking at the labor markets. And I think we at least should get your thoughts on the jobs report we saw at the end of last week. Last week was wild because we had all kinds of earnings reports from the mega cap tech stocks. We had uh, the FOMC meeting. We had Powell's comments. We had all the takeaways from that. And then we had this far better than expected jobs report on Friday to end the week. But now people are parsing that and realizing maybe it wasn't as good as initially advertised. What's your takeaway from the, the second part of their dual mandate, the labor markets? Well, actually, the Fed has three mandates now because the third is financial stability. They will ease if um, banks start going bankrupt or something like that. But the, the jobs report, you know, they lie every time lately. And the way, the way they do it is they report some spectacular or at least a pleasant surprise um, headline number. And then it, later on, they, um, they revise it lower, but nobody looks at the revisions. They don't really look at the headline number. And then um, people dig into, you know, Zero Hedge does a real public service. <laughs> they, they take the jobs report and then like, the next day they come out with an analysis of it. 
that shows you all the ways you're being lied to. And this one was a, uh, it was a doozy, man. The number of jobs went up, but the number of people with jobs went down, which is not a sign of a healthy economy. And then the number of full-time jobs went down while the number of part-time jobs went way up, which is also not a sign of a healthy economy. And, uh, you know, hat trick, the third one is that uh, the number of native-born Americans with jobs went down while people who weren't born here but are living here now, uh, the number of jobs, uh, or number of them with jobs went up. So you add all that up and you get a you know, very messy labor situation where it's not nearly as good as they say it is. And these big layoffs that are being announced out there, therefore loom large. You know, if we were really creating 350,000 jobs a month, then, uh, yeah, so what? Citigroup can go ahead and lay off 20,000 people. No big deal. They'll be absorbed almost instantly in this incredibly tight labor market. But um, if that 350,000 jobs number was actually fake, and it's nothing like that, then these layoffs that are being announced are actually, you know, potentially fairly big deal because there's a lot of them. The numbers are big and the number of announcements is accelerating. So it, it could be that um, the layoffs end up being a, the biggest part of the story in the labor market and these jobs numbers will just be revised away so that in the end they don't matter other than to the electoral prospects of the government that's doing the announcement with the bogus numbers oh it's always fun to read over the economic data though john and we get so many different emails of people analyzing that data and look in all fairness we can poke holes in everything but the fact of the matter is right now the markets even though they were down today still seem to be doing fairly well i know that the breadth is less but uh, it's a confusing year. And this year, who knows? To your point, are we going to get more wars? Or are we going to get less wars? Will they cause an impact in the markets? Uh, who knows what's going to happen? But it's always fun to chat with you about what you're seeing and some of the issues that you see for the economy moving forward. So, John, thank you very much for your time. We'll chat again in another couple of weeks. I hope you have a great rest of your week. Great. Thanks, guys. See ya.